0: Hey, I'm Steve Stevens, and you're listening to the Rock Solid Podcast.
1: Make me a deal and make it good for me. I won't get full of myself, so I can't afford to be here. This is small town music, this is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song. Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining me in the Zoom Room today is a guitarist and a songwriter with quite an eclectic resume. And if you only know him as the Keith Richards to Billy Idol's Mick Jagger, then I hope to change that today. So please welcome to the Zoom Room, Mr. Steve Stevens. Hey Steve, how you
0: doing? Great, great. My pleasure.
1: So, uh, Steve... You're still in quarantine,
0: like we all are. You're staying inside. Um, yeah, for the most part. I mean, um, fortunately, uh, Billy and, and myself uh, did quarantine and did tests and all that, so we're able to continue to write and record and uh, basically do what we ordinarily do, anyway. So, uh, but other than that, it's it's we're, we're locked away, you know.
1: Yeah. That's what, that's how it is with, with everyone. Uh, yeah. now this, now you, you, you brought this up really quickly. That was one of the things on my, uh, on my list. There was a, there was a tweet just the other day, mm. Billy, uh, put it out there that you guys are working on new Billy Idol music.
0: Yeah, we, 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 you know, we finished, uh, doing live shows in, uh, in March, just when, uh, COVID hit. And, um, and we kind of, you know, did the quarantine thing. And then, uh, we said, all right, well, what do we do now? Uh, so we had already been in talks with, um, uh, producer Butch Walker to do some stuff. And, uh, Butch is like a one man army. He, uh, has his own studio and, um, engineers everything. And, uh, so, uh, he also had been quarantined. So, you know, the three of us got together and, um, and we, uh, amassed, a you know, a a bunch of uh, songs and, um, and, uh, we hope to have it out, you know, at, at some point, um, not sure about this year, but early next year, maybe.
1: Yeah. Hopefully, you know, next year and then you guys, uh, it'll be safe to tour again because, uh, you know, you put a new album out there, then you want to play it live.
0: Absolutely.
1: Now this is exciting because, uh, Steve Stevens, Billy Idol and Butch Walker, Mm. this is like, This just sounds like something everyone's going to want to hear. I mean, that sounds like an amazing combination.
0: Um, Yeah, I hunted Butch down. (laughs) (laughs) I I befriended him first. Um, Actually, someone told me that he owned a Steve Stevens, uh, Hamer guitar from the eighties. Wow! And I said, Oh, there's my in." <laughs> <laughs> so I tweeted him. I said, Hey, uh, you know, word on the street is you owned one of my guitars. And, and then we, we started a dialogue and I said, you know, we, uh, you know, it'd be great for you. You'd be the perfect producer, uh, for Billy Idol because he's, you know, he's got one foot in, in, in the traditional rock, uh, world, you know, right. as he started, but also, you know, his records are very contemporary and, um, he's, uh, I, I, in my mind, I thought he'd really get what we were about and, and also where we could go in the future while still keeping a, you know, a Billy Idol traditional thing. Um, and it's, it's worked out great. He's been uh, a absolute pleasure to work with.
1: It's been about six years since you guys recorded an album, Billy Idol album, night 2014's Kings and Queens of the Underground and that album when I opened up the liner notes to that and saw that Trevor Horn produced that, that seemed uh, kind of out of your wheelhouse to work with Trevor Horn and I love that album so much. You guys oh. killed it on that a- record. Riding down this road like I've ridden down a million Run through every road blocking this town I laughed at all the signs that say speed will kill you. It took you to slow me down. I forgot how to fly. I remember before I die. It's a crooked line.
0: Great. I mean, that's. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, you you talk about the list of dream producers, and Trevor's name is in there, and um, and it was a, it was such a great experience for Billy and I because we had never recorded in in England in Trevor's studio. Uh, it's it's no longer around now, but it, we w- we were actually the last artist to work at SARM, which was his studio. But then I found out that SARM was Island Studios, which was where some of the Led Zeppelin stuff was recorded, all the traffic stuff, classic Genesis. Um, and um, so Trevor, you know, I, I grew up on a lot of the early Prague stuff. So Trevor and I, you know, were like, you know you know all these exchange stories about yes and all this kind of stuff and uh, and, uh once again you know you put you, you always hope that that you know the collaboration will work right but you never know but um but uh, uh you know once again you know just just a fantastic experience
1: as a musician when you go to these uh to these studios, these classic studios, like my my background is stand-up comedy. So when I moved to Los Angeles and the first time I set foot in the comedy store, that just right. felt like incredible. So is that the same feeling you guys have?
0: Yeah, I mean, these studios are disappearing. You know, as I said, we were the last uh, artists in there. It's now condominiums. Wow, so, um, what a waste. Know, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the, the, the it's the good side of it, which is, I can do records at home. That's true. But also also there is that thrill of being in a classic studio. You know, when people ask me about Rebel Yell, I say, you know, we were locked away for... 10 months at electric lady studios, how could we not come up with exactly band, something brilliant, you know? And, uh, you know, fortunately in Los Angeles, there, there are still some of these great studios. Um, and you know, if you're a rock and roll band, you've got to get in a big room and record drums properly and, and cut you, you want, you want to try and cut your tracks, you know, as a band, to get yeah. that chemistry. Um, with a lot of, you know, hip hop and, and, and other kinds of music, it's not that important. You can do it on a laptop, but I think for rock and roll. <laughs>
1: right, for rock, rock and roll. Be- for
0: rock and roll. For rock and roll, there's nothing better than being in a big room.
1: I didn't, uh, I didn't expect that we would jump to, uh, to Kings and Queens of the Underground uh, this quickly, but um, th- again, this was a great album. You guys played like 40 dates or more live to tour on this thing, and you and Billy, uh, you co-wrote seven of the 11 songs, and that's, that for me is great because when you two write together, I, I love it. I mean, just like the rebel yellow album. I mean, you guys yeah, pretty I'm, much wrote that whole thing, I think, but one. So that's fantastic.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the, you know, I'm one of those weird guitar players who doesn't see when I'm working with people, I really don't see myself as a guitar player. I, 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 I try and use my instrument to, to move the song forward and, um, and tell a story. Mm-hmm. You know, and reflect the lyrics and the and 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 the vibe and the environment of the song. So um, I think that served me well as a as a co-writer because um, I think the the people that I work with, the singers, know <clears throat> I'm trying. I'm not trying to put an agenda about my guitar playing into into the project. I'm trying to just get the best song out of it. Um, you know, here we are. You know, uh, Billy and I have worked together for 38 years and um we still there's still some fruits in the in the in the <laughs> there's still some cookies in the cookie jar, you know. Well, one of the, one of my
1: favorite songs off of that album was uh Postcards from the Past. I mean, that just it's a killer. I love it. It just kicks ass. Touch my fascination once again
0: That record was the quickest thing we had ever done. I think it was two weeks to, to the whole do the record. record yeah, the whole uh, Yeah, I mean, obviously <clears throat> the, the writing process was longer right. than that, but the actual recording, once we got to London, we were there for about two weeks and, uh, and cut it pretty quickly.
1: It's exciting for me when there's a new uh, album with you two guys, because it's, uh, you know, there's a long duration now between the albums because you guys go out and tour and stuff. But, uh, right. but when, when they drop, I'm all in. I love it.
0: Oh, great. So you guys,
1: great. And you guys haven't disappointed uh, for the past two albums. Just great stuff. <laughs> but uh. I, I want to hit on some things. I, I want to make sure I get this stuff out there. I want people to know that you're finally getting uh, into the social media. You got a brand new website, SteveStevensGuitar.com. Right. So that's where we can go to find out all things about Steve Stevens.
0: Yeah. And I'm pretty I'm pretty active on Instagram and Mm -hmm. Facebook. And I I do answer uh, fans questions, especially guitar players uh, when they have technical questions, because, man, I would have given anything as a kid to, you know, to to pose a question to Jimmy page or somebody. And I think it's important to have, you know, an open dialogue, you know, that's what, that's, that's what the internet is there for. So, um, yeah, if if people want to contact me, obviously, obviously all the projects and, and, um, and, and, uh, you know, business stuff, whatever, merch and all that's based on the (laughs) website. Sure. uh, Yeah. If you catch me on Instagram and now the, I have a Twitter and, um, uh, you know, I try and stay active and engaged with people.
1: Twitter is at Steve Stevens. And you're also on Cameo, cameo.com forward slash Steve Stevens a go-go.
0: Right. Yeah. So, we've, we have been doing uh, Cameos and, you know, it's it's great because people are, you know, I'm not doing guitar lessons on there. I'm right. doing greetings, but uh, if someone has a question about at a, about a recording or a guitar part. I'll show it, you know, and explain what it's about. It's no, there's no secrets with, you know, <laughs> with that stuff. I don't, I don't mind it.
1: Born in Brooklyn,
0: yeah, I was actually born in. Uh, well, I lived in Brownsville when I was a kid, which mm-hmm. is where uh, Mike Tyson and Riddick Bowe were from. Wow, if that tells you anything. <laughs> um, but uh, my parents moved to Rockaway when I was about two years old, which is, uh, is is part of Queens, New York. But it's really, it's we. I mean, I could have literally walked to Long Island from where I was. We're right on the border between Queens and Long Island.
1: And how long have you been in uh, Los Angeles now? How long have you lived out here?
0: Uh, 25 years. Back. So,
1: so do you feel like a, do you still feel like a New Yorker or are you a West coast guy? What do you, how do you feel?
0: I, um, I, you know, New York has changed so much since when I, when I lived there. Um, I went to high school in Manhattan and I, from that point on, I lived in Manhattan, uh, lived in Manhattan during the seventies, which was, if you've ever seen taxi driver, that was, that was, that it. was our, that was our existence. I mean, it really was like, <laughs> like that um, dangerous, but but really exciting. And, and, and at the time that I uh, was living in Manhattan, there was so much music happening and all these bands were getting signed out of clubs and CBGBs and all that stuff. And, but now, in, you know, New York has is, is, is become like the rest of the world. It's pretty pretty gentrified. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, sure.
0: Uh, and um, so I when I go to New York now, I do all this silly things i used to make fun of <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of people for do you know i do all the tourist things right
1: at what age does steve stevens pick up a guitar
0: um really early i i didn't pick up the guitar per se um my dad uh who was uh, had a great record collection but but there was no mu- musicians in my family yeah he bought, I believe it was for seventeen dollars. He got a burr Lives music songbook and a guitar. And he brought it home. It's kind of a toy. You yeah. Know, but it but but it played. And um, he brought it home for himself. But you know, he was a hard-working blue-collar guy. He didn't have time for this. By the time he had dinner, he was out. So the was, he was, guitar yeah. ended up in my my room. And, um, and my brother had older friends. I have a fi- my older brother's five years older than okay. me, and a lot of his friends played. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they said to my mom, you know, um, he's making a hell of a racket, but it's in time. <laughs> <laughs> so um, she said, well, I, I, I guess I have to live with that racket, so I might as well get him some lessons. <laughs> so um, my first guitar teacher was, uh, there was a protest singer uh, from the sixties named Phil Oaks and his sister was my first guitar teacher. Nice. So I started on, this was when, you know, uh, the, all the folk guitar stuff was happening mm-hmm. like James Taylor and Joni Mitchell and Crosby, Stills, Nash. Great stuff. So as a, you know, as a kid having an you know, an acoustic guitar, um, it was great to learn all that stuff. And, and you could, and the, of course the Beatles catalog, every, every kid back then learned Beatles music. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I rarely interview anyone that doesn't mention the Beatles. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's how it is. It's music.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's it's funny because I, for a while, thought, well, that's my generation. We grew up on that. But younger guitar players that I speak to are learning Beatles tunes as well. I guess, you know, they really are a timeless, you know, thing that, uh, you know, people recognize that the the, 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 the it, their their music was so great and so harmonically mm-hmm. rich doesn't matter what year they came out you know
1: yeah when you're playing an acoustic guitar you don't really develop your own sound on an acoustic guitar but then when you move to electric that's mm-hmm. when you can really branch out and there's a there's you know there's a lot of guitars that have their own sound obviously Eddie Van Halen and mm-hmm. Brian May and I feel like you're one of those guys because whenever i hear you on a record even if i don't know you played on that record it'll be like wait a minute I think that might be, I think that's Steve Stevens. And then you look through the liner notes and sure enough, there it is. So um, when did you, uh, so first of all, that's, that's congratulations on that. That's, that's, (laughs) that's something to be proud of when you, when you, you have your own distinct thing that you do. And uh, when did that develop? When did you move from acoustic to electric?
0: Um, Wow. I played acoustic for, uh, from the time I was, I mean, properly, I'd say seven and a half. And I got an electric guitar when I was 13. Mm-hmm. So um, I think the acoustic background kind of, it you know, uh, it enhanced my playing when I got an electric. I think if I had started on electric, I'd, I'd be a totally different guitar player. Yeah. Um, but I understood uh, the, the importance of rhythm guitar and, and still to this day, my favorite guitar guitar players are still primarily rhythm, rhythm guys. Um, but, but the stylistic, uh, you know, signature thing, I think that that really was just, a, you know, it's a lot, a lot of it is what records you listen to. Right. And I never particularly, uh, I always, I was really fortunate that when I got an electric guitar, there was the the height of the English guitar hero thing. Obviously, you know, Uh, Hendrix was was part of that. And, um, you know, but then you had Brian May, Jeff Beck and all of the early uh, English progressive rock guitar players like Robert Fripp from King Crimson, Steve Hackett, Steve Howe from Yes. And these were guitar players that were using all these different styles rather than like an Eric Clapton, who's blues based, brilliant but primarily has one guitar sound or one track that goes through the song. These were guys that were arranging their guitars. Oh, let's put a little bit of classical guitar in the verse. And then when the chorus comes, let's put a fuzz guitar. And I approached music like that. So when it came time to to work with Billy Idol, um, that served me really well uh, to, to kind of almost, you know, be... Uh, a a bit of a director, you know, like, um, you know, look at the song as the film and, and paint with these colors and enhance it in that way. And I think that gave me an, it helped give me an identifiable guitar style. And obviously um, with Billy, it was amalgamation of the energy of punk rock and the, and the aggression of things like the pistols and the Ramones and, and then also things like Susie and the Banshees, but also with the technical ability of, of some of the, my prog rock heroes. So they, it's like this gumbo you mix up and that's, that's what I am.
1: That's what you are. When did you and Billy uh, first get together? I mean, you're from totally different backgrounds Mm -hmm. and, uh, but maybe different, but maybe the same. I don't know. Um, Did you guys uh, hit it off immediately?
0: Um. Um, n- not not necessarily. Um, you know, it wasn't like we got together and we both started talking about you know tracks off you know records. He it was interesting when I met Billy. You know, he's he does, he, he he's a huge reggae fan, right, and a fan of of dub style. You know, these kind of dance remixes, you know, reggae's use of effects and echoes and things like that. And you can hear that on the third generation X record. There's a lot of that reggae dub stuff. So I was interested in that because I I knew nothing about Uh it. And then obviously he's from London, 1977. So those bands really were rebelling against a lot of the the heroes, certainly the end of the prog rock stuff, which had become really kind of over the top, you know, wasn't, and you combine in England, it was part of a socioeconomic movement, whereas punk really wasn't that in New York. It was, it was was a totally different thing. Um, But um, what really bonded us was, was he loved, things like Lou Reed and, and maybe uh, early T-Rex and glam rock, things like Sweet. And, you know, that's where we found common ground in that. Um, and I knew all the Lou Reed stuff. And, I you know, just about any band that came from New York, you know, I'm, one of my first managers was the co-manager of the New York Dolls and had a lot of doll stories and stuff. And I Sylvain Sylvain actually named me. I, I was, he came to my band's rehearsal and I was looking for an, a last name a
1: new moniker right. yeah
0: yeah right and he said well do what i do just use your first name twice. steve stevens <laughs> so i said duh okay you, you know when it, when a member of the new york dolls it's like being knighted yes so, yeah okay i'll i'll take that advice he you know?
1: christened you steve stevens <laughs> he did he did well it's right. easy it's it's easy to remember yeah <laughs> you don't forget steve it, yeah. stevens and you don't forget billy idol i mean you just yeah. don't forget those names
0: yeah, so um, so that's the stuff we found common ground in, and then when we actually sat down, because we pretty much, I you know I said, look, you know you're gonna you you want to put a band together? I know every musician in New York, so let me help you put a band together, and um, and I don't know if they auditioned guitar players. Maybe they checked a couple of people out, nah. but you know I said, you know when it comes time for guitar, I hope you consider me, you know, and uh, I, it was really just um, just casual. It was pretty much just a hang, you know yeah <clears> here <throat> was this guy who had you know moved to, to New York from England. It was soon after John Lennon was shot, so I can imagine you know we talked about that. he's thinking Where the, what the hell have I gotten myself into you know, but he loved New York and in he, and he, and he, and he, and what I soon realized was there was a really cool uh, contingent of english musicians that billy was uh, was all friends with that had moved to new york um and it was a cool little scene yeah that's cool definitely yeah Yeah. so
1: the first album that you guys do together comes out in um 1982 goes gold what's that like i mean was this was that the first professional recording that you had done at that Um, point
0: it was the well yeah, it was the first one that saw the light of day. Well, okay, okay.
1: But been, um, you had been in studios and you had recorded stuff. It just wasn't, uh, it just wasn't as well known. This was your first taste of uh, some success.
0: Um, yeah. I mean, the interesting thing is the album didn't go gold when it was released. It mm-hmm. went gold eventually. Double Yell.
1: Ah, okay. People went back and said, it "Oh, there's another. A, yeah. There's another album. Let's listen it, to this."
0: That's right. Although "White Wedding" and "Dancing with Myself" are on the first album, uh, they did well as singles. Yeah. But uh, the album w- wasn't a massive seller. And I remember that first tour was pretty brutal. Um, even even though I was 22 years old, mm-hmm. and you're pretty resilient then. But in the dead of winter up in Canada, uh, <laughs> in a van that's breaking down. And, yeah it was tough, man. It was really, you know, it was grueling. You, you know, it, it, you know, and I, and bands are still doing it that way. Right. Well, we were, Yeah. but, um, yeah. Hmm. So
1: at that, yeah, at that point, you're not traveling, uh, a list, you know, it's, uh, not at all. you're just, not you're at just all. getting to the gig and, uh, hoping that there's some, uh, some cold pizza.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Basically. Yeah. yeah. But, um, You know, you get the adrenaline that you get from playing, you you know, something that you've created for me uh, to to finally play in front of an audience that, you know, that knew my tracks on the record. You know, they had bought the record, knew the guitar parts, and to see even one or two guys in the audience, you know, miming the guitar.
1: (laughs) That must be cool.
0: That's all I needed, you know. That that keeps you going. That's
1: the adrenaline.
0: That's all I needed. So, um, well, yeah, you, and, and you know, and uh, you know, like I said, we're we pretty young. You know, just happy to be doing it.
1: And uh, you got two co-writes on that album. And the album kicks off with a song I love. Come on, come on, it's so good. <laughs>
0: I think that was the first song we, we ever wrote together
1: and it made it to the album. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So then you go, you know, you're beating around with this first album. You're, you're touring. Like you said, it's not uh it's not first class all the way, but then rebel yell comes out and this thing's a monster. Right. I mean, yeah. there's, you know, people worry about the sophomore slump that did not happen with you guys.
0: Yeah. I mean, the last song that was written for the first album was White Wedding uh, because we needed a single. Basically, our producer locked Billy away from, in the studio, wouldn't let him out for. And I remember we, we recorded that album in Los Angeles and we were staying at, uh, at the, the uh, Sunset Marquee. Mm-hmm. About nine in the morning, knock on my hotel door and it's Billy and he's got the, you know, the ghetto blaster and puts <laughs> in the cassette and he goes, I think I got one. <laughs> wow. And from the moment I heard it, I mean, his original demo. It was pretty close to the recorded mm-hmm. version with all that kind of spaghetti western guitar style and you know um, and uh, so when it came time to do Rebel Yell we knew that that was the bar you know we had to start where we left off.
1: With and, White Wedding
0: uh, Right so Rebel Yell was kind of like the next level uh, starting point yeah. for that record and- Last
1: night dancer, came dancing to
0: my door. Last night, a little angel came pumping on the floor. She said, come baby, you
1: got a license for love. And if it expires, <laughs>
0: And then we took some risks, you know, eyes without a face. You know, we were okay, Can can we get away with a ballot? Yeah, sure. You know. what's great about Billy Idol records is every song can be a little bit different, mm-hmm. right? There's no formula. And that's something that I think came from both of us growing up with Beatles records. Cause every song on a Beatles record is a different style or, you know, they take you on a little right. journey.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you grow up uh, just listening to Led Zeppelin, then you're probably just going to play songs like Led Zeppelin. But if you have a nice eclectic musical library at your disposal, then you're uh, you're good to go longevity well,
0: I mean Led Zeppelin pretty diverse well you know, yeah like, that's yeah, true you know I mean that's uh, just the first had...
1: example that came to my head Steve
0: <laughs> yeah I mean maybe the first album was more in that formula right, right, right. blues based thing but certainly by the time they got to Houses of the Holy uh, you know each song you know you had a 12 string Raga Indian thing and yeah yeah and you know, than a blues thing. So well, I'm
1: right mad. Now, I'm mad at my mad at myself, Steve. Now that I used Led Zeppelin <laughs> as the example,
0: I mean, I'm i pissed off. But um, but I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know. Um, you know, Van Halen is a is a band who, you know, Ed Ed he's so brilliant. He doesn't need to layer his guitars. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about Van Halen. You capture that live performance, and pretty much it's that way through the whole record. It's uh, you know, uh, we're we're certainly not that kind of thing where right. we're more uh use this we we definitely use the studio as a creative tool
1: you guys have never released a live album a live billy we, idol we, no we have we you have, have? Mm-hmm. yeah now how um, come i don't know about this then
0: well it was done limited edition on vinyl okay that's fine. um I there's not that many it was a three album set Wh- okay wow yeah. Three vinyl set and um, it's actually really good. We 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 um, we we really uh, made sure we got good performances. You know. Um, in what year was this done? Um, this came out. Wow, maybe three years ago or so. I got to seek this thing out now. This yeah. is crazy that yeah, I don't and know about there's, this. Also, there's a live DVD from Chicago. righty. That that, that's got to be about ten years old now. Yeah.
1: In the uh, is that you in the white wedding video with the doctor with the mask on? it's not that's not cuz i I'm not, yeah. you're not in the video but there's a guy I with black hair in. that's kind of got spiky hair and i was like is that steve but the, he's wearing a mask so i don't I, I couldn't tell if it was you
0: that that's uh, that's actually was billy's best friend mark at okay. the time uh, who's about 6 foot 2 so <laughs> it's definitely not me <laughs> yeah but those are all you know all the people in that video were uh, you know all friends of billy and and his girlfriend at the time very mm-hmm. you know Perry.
1: And you mentioned the eyes without a face that goes to number four you, you guys must have been through the moon
0: yeah i mean i mean honestly um when we when we were doing rebel yell we'd have these uh end of the week playbacks where we'd invite friends mm-hmm. uh you know friday night and um people would come by and it was it was really obvious we had something really really good
1: that's cool you
0: know, i tell people you know when when sometimes you know when you write songs and you get the right musicians together there's a there's a something else happening there's some other mojo or 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 god or whoever or wherever you, whatever entity or higher power or whatever you want to call it is is part of the process and and we certainly had you know some help on that record because yeah. um Things just worked. Every guitar idea I I, I could think of worked against the tracks. And you know, we we were looking, we were actually doing the record, and we were looking for a drummer. Mm -hmm. Uh, We we weren't getting the right drum tracks, and lo and behold, Tommy Price uh, was the was the drummer in Scandal at the time. And they love that guy. Recording, yeah, and they were recording down the hall, and we just we heard through the wall. (laughs) That's that guy sounds really good you know, all right, who's going to get them? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it turned out, you know, he's a big part of that record. The, those drums are great on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love him on the Joan Jett albums that he plays on too. I mean, he's just, exactly. you know, I hate myself yeah. for loving you. The guy's just a, a monster on the kit.
0: And he came from the, you know, Meek DeVille, Willie DeVille yeah. and all that stuff. And uh, he, he was definitely a guy who understood immediately what the music needed.
1: The thing about Rebel Yell is even though, even though all the songs in the album aren't singles, when you listen to that album, it feels like you're almost listening to a greatest hits album because every track is just amazing.
0: Thanks. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, we, we were, we, you know, we were, it was the first record where the attention to detail was like, you know, we put every note and every word and every aspect of the music under the Mm -hmm. microscope. We really were like, why, why am I playing this, you know, just because, oh, that chord goes next to that one? Oh, what's the reason, you know? Yeah. And, it, and it came down to um, really the attention to detail. And Once again, you know, our producer, Keith Forsey, was, really guided us and really made that uh, album. You know, it wouldn't, there wouldn't be a Rebel Yell album without Keith Forsey.
1: I want to move on from the Billy Idol stuff, because I don't want to just talk about, because you've done so much other stuff, but I do want to say that uh, then you guys do, uh, you do Whiplash Smile in 1986, and then after that, you guys part ways for a while, and um, was that, um, were you guys no longer friends at that point? Did you just not want to work together? Was it, uh, Um, was it like a divorce? I don't want to, and um, and again, Steve, I don't want to get into drama either, that's not my thing. Yeah,
0: I mean, fortunately, there was no slagging or or any of that stuff, which, which... Uh, you know, wasn't wasn't the kind of relationship we cool. had. Okay, anyway, good. Anyway, um, Billy made it a, a decision to move to Los Angeles. I wanted to stay in New York. Um, and Whiplash Smile was was a, a, a tough record to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's no live drums, no real bass on it. And um, as a guitar player, I found it really hard to make my guitar stick. Yeah. To it. You know, now I can appreciate it, but at the time of recording it, it was it was pretty tough. Uh and I was offered a d- uh, deal over at Warner Brothers, uh, Ted Teppelman, who was uh head of AR and also Van Halen's producer, uh came a knock-in and we became friends and I I said I'd do a record for them. And um uh, but yeah I mean you know it was uh it was understood that uh, I was gonna do my thing I wish Billy well. And, um, cool. And we, we, I, it was kind of like, I'll see you down the road, <laughs> you know? And, um, so when we got back together, we didn't have to make amends or, or that's great. So, no apologies. It was just, uh, you know, you're working was, together again. Great. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: You're talking about, uh, atomic Playboys, is the album that you made for Warner brothers.
0: Correct. Correct? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, uh, <coughs> and sad, you know, sadly, I, I, just saw one of your posts that uh, the keyboardist from this album just passed away. So uh, yeah, sorry Phil. to hear yeah. that.
0: Yeah. Sweet, sweet, sweetheart of a guy. And, um, and uh, you know, this is before we had laptop computers and stuff. And he taught me a lot about how you do computer sequencing. And he worked with everyone, Blondie, yeah. Barry, you know, I mean, he was a real New York fixture uh, studio fixture sweetest guy and and, um yeah he came out he was the keyboard player came out on the road so uh uh, you know i I was very sad to hear that
1: and we what we say here when someone passes we say rock and peace so rock and peace phil ashley for sure yeah
0: yeah absolutely absolutely
1: the title track atomic playboys has some amazing guitar on it so so good i mean that that kicks off the album just the right way. That sets the tone for what we're going to hear on this thing.
0: I mean, it was pretty much a, you know, it was more of a hard rock record than, sure. than the Billy Idol stuff. Um, the, 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 the only problem for me was by then I, I was used to a level of luxury. <laughs>
1: right. And now and now you're 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 starting at ground zero again a ton, you know, so you're probably you're probably t- did you guys tour with this album?
0: We did. And you're playing and, uh,
1: you're not playing the venues that you just were playing with the, with the big uh, top 40 hits and stuff.
0: Right, and uh, but I'm still in my mind <laughs> like, well, I deserve two tour buses. Sure, and I deserve, and um, it was a very expensive record to do, um, and uh, you know, and uh, you know, naively, you know, the record companies like shelling out money for yeah. you know, uh, three hundred thousand dollar, four hundred thousand dollar videos and all. You, you, oh. Wow, I have, that's my money. Yeah, <laughs> you learn that later on, you know. Well, I mean, no offense um, to
1: Chrysalis Records, but Warner Brothers Records is a bigger company than Chrysalis was. Yeah, I
0: mean, yeah. and uh, yeah, and, and 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 um, and uh, you know, all respect to to Warner's, they treated me fantastic, and getting to know Ted Templeman, uh, you know, the 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 um, the thing 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 about my relationship with Warner Brothers is that. Uh, Ted was the one that got me the Michael mm-hmm. Jackson gig. Uh, Ted was the one that put me together with Vince Neil, and so there were other things. There were other, other things that came from this I mean, relationship. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I was very. Uh, my relationship with Warner's was was a good thing.
1: You brought up Michael Jackson in, in 2020 for me personally, Steve. I it's uh, it's 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 a difficult uh, it's a difficult artist to talk about. So, yeah. but Dirty Diana it's just, it's just amazing. I, 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 watched the video the other day and it's, you know, you guys look so cool together on stage and you are just, just killing it. What was that? What was that like when you got the call to do that? Cause I mean, that's, he was doing that, you know, he used Eddie on beat it and then he used you and then he did slash and, you know, getting some rock cred from bringing you guys into these records. But the songs that the three of you played on are undeniably they're classics. call back then you're totally on board immediately i would assume
0: yeah i mean um i got a call from quincy jones but uh you know ted ted teppelman didn't tell me that he had spoken to quincy quincy Mm -hmm. actually called ted and uh said hey man you know we're working on the follow-up to uh thriller got another rock track and it worked out so so great for for us with eddie who who's Who's a new guy, you know, who we need another, another gunslinger. I was going to say gunslinger. <laughs> yeah. So fortunately Ted threw my name in there and, um, and Quincy, Quincy actually, uh, remembered me because when we did Billy's first record, we were down the hall, uh, and, and Michael was doing uh, off the wall. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we'd pass each other in the hallway over at Westlake studios. So Quincy was aware and, um, <clears throat> said I got your number from from Ted Templeman, and uh, how'd you like to work on on the record? Sure, I mean, um and 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 obviously this was, you know, pre all of the
1: all the stuff. Yeah, you don't stuff, know. Stuff, yeah, right? yeah. I mean, yeah. So you're going in. And you don't. You d- it's Michael Jackson. It's the biggest artist in the world, and you're going to go work with him.
0: So I was still living in New York. I flew to Los Angeles to do the session. And I'm expecting this massive, uh, entourage. And, you know, I, and I'm, I'm, I really hadn't done that many, uh, sessions outside of idle. Right. I was a little nervous, like, you know, what's going to be like all these people, monkeys and all this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I opened the studio door and it's just Michael, uh, Quincy and, uh, engineer Bruce. That was it. That was it. You know, and, um, So, and the way that they worked was very similar to how we worked. And, and, uh, it was, uh, uh, you know, recording was really cool. It was, you know, exactly how I would have hoped it would have been.
1: And now the, the, the outward, uh, thing from Michael Jackson, he always seems like he's shy and everything, but behind closed doors when you guys are working on this track, he obviously isn't that way, right? You guys are just talking music and,
0: um, I mean, he is, you know, uh, it was obvious that him and Quincy had a great communication. Okay, and, obvi- and I, I'm sure that they had spoken before before the session about what they were trying to get for the song. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, the last thing that I needed was uh, you know somebody sticking music paper in front of me and going, <laughs> "Well, here's the chart." Gotcha. And Michael Michael is not that guy, so he would go he'd sing me the melody or, you know, okay, this, let's, and, and of course, you know, we captured all the things that they needed and, and that probably took about an hour or so. And then they said, do whatever you want to do. And, um, and the version of the song that I played on was almost eight minutes and then wow. they edited it down. So I was able to like give them all these alternative bits and sounds and effects and all this kind of stuff. So, um, it was very much the way I was used to working.
1: So did you play on the whole song? Cause when I look up credits, it all, it just says like solo Steve Stevens, but you played on the whole song.
0: Yeah, I did. Yeah.
1: And then you get to be uh they ask you to be in the video, which is massive.
0: Yeah. That, I mean the power of that, that video, because I was, you know, I was used to uh, the success of the Billy Idol videos, <clears throat> um, which would premiere on MTV or whatever. And, but this was on a whole different level. And I was, I was living in. It's funny. I was living in New York, at a premiere, on, like Entertainment Tonight, mm-hmm. and you know, yeah, major network things. So the next day, I go out. I'm going to go out for my coffee and bagel, <laughs> you know, and um, and I'm walking down the street, and I pass by a McDonald's. It's crowded, and, and people like, and I'm I'm like little. There's two people following me, three people, four people. Four, You're the guy in the Michael Jackson video. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. So I had to <laughs> stop and sign order, which had never happened for me before. But that um, must so, have been cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's worldwide. Yeah. It's like, man, I've permeated the, <laughs> the now vortex.
1: Now, I don't I don't know how you would walk around New York back in the day, but obviously you weren't wearing a, a leather suit. And your your hair wasn't all done up? Or maybe it was. I
0: did that every day. You did it every day. So, they, so you I, were you were easily recognizable then, dude. Dude, back then I'd go on vacation. I'd be I'd be on the beach in Jamaica and have the hair and the the leather. I'd be on the beach with the leather pants. I I'm not kidding you, man. I lived it, you know. That's another thing that's
1: cool about you and Billy on stage. You have this. You got the black hair, and thank goodness you both kept your hair because you need you need to for to be rock and roll. But you got the black hair and he's got the white hair and it just it just together it's just a thing i mean it just immediately you're like yeah this is this is the real deal and that's even before you even before you play you just see a picture of you two guys and you're like oh look at these rock and rollers
0: yeah well the best the best compliment i think i ever got we we opened for the who and um uh this was probably about six or seven years ago and their manager uh, Bill Kirby. Yeah.
1: Yeah. been around forever.
0: Yeah. And he came down the hallway and he pointed to me, he goes, now there's a rock star. And I thought if the manager <laughs> of the who, yeah. is saying that I, I probably look like I should be playing on stage. You know? <gasps> um, um, but yeah, I mean, we just, we, you know, we, we, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, you're not going to get on stage with Billy Idol with a, with a flannel shirt and, Pair, yeah. a pair of moccasins you yeah. know it just you know you 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 have to rise to the occasion and 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 and, and be the guy's foil and you know uh, you know have that have that give and take and you know that's that's i mean since the days of elvis and scotty moore yeah. and, and you know um uh, you know there's always been this singer and 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 sidekick thing and funnily enough <clears throat> Um, I always, I remember when I was a kid and I was watching uh, TV and um, 1968 Elvis comeback special, I was watching with my, my dad and, uh, and I said, I, you know, my mom, my mom was swooning over Elvis, mm-hmm. but I'm going to my dad. That's the guy I want to be. I want to be the guitar player that, that's cool. right there, you know? And I think the classic guitar player thing was, the Jimmy pages and the Richie Blackmore's and the Brian Mays were always mm-hmm. a little bit quieter, yeah. you know, always, always, and that's, that fit my persona. You know, I, I couldn't imagine being on stage and being the front man. That's, that's a really hard job, man. I've seen, I've seen what, what that's about to do it right. 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 You know, and I get to hide behind my instrument a little bit, you know, it's a, it's I'm speaking through, Something. Yeah. Whereas singers, you're really naked there and you're relying on a physical thing like a boxer. You yeah. Know, what happens, what happens if your voice goes out or you have a cold or something? Yeah. So it, I have such respect for singers. man. And, it's like,
1: and sometimes with Billy, it, he is, he is almost naked. Cause sometimes three songs in the shirts already off. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, I always thought about you guys, like, even though like, uh, you know, plant and page, and um Joe Perry and Steve Tyler and um Mick and Keith even though they're in bands and you are in it's it's billed as Billy Idol I still right. always felt that you guys were equals because you know you're you're on the back you know the pictures on the back of the album cover it's you guys you know what I'm saying so even though it's uh, even though it's under the the umbrella of a na- of the name Billy Idol I always felt like you two were like those other pairings and it's just that's what i like
0: yeah i mean in one respect um it's made things look the, the 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 final word is billy billy yeah 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 you know and but and that's made things you hear about all these bands fighting and all this kind of stuff and that's that's a lot of that stuff where they sort of fight about the publishing and the, the ego you know, stuff. And, 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 yeah. And, um, and it's, and I think it's because it's Billy and it was his deal to begin with, mm-hmm. you know, he had already done three records for Chris Liss and, and, uh, and there was a, a you know, it's definitely a direction and he was, he was very clear and specific about what he wanted the music to be like, what he felt the audience W- was waiting for because yeah. he, he he felt there was there was a real void between in America between punk rock stuff and rock stuff, which is what we kind of became this this middle ground. Um, so and I and and he gave me a lot of direction and we helped develop stuff. So I think because of that, um, it's always been understood that you know I'm there I, you know I'm I'm there and I'll give my opinion and that's why I've lasted. Uh, for so long because you count on me. And I, you know, I'll rehearse the band without him and do mm-hmm. all the stuff that maybe he doesn't want to be around for. Yeah. We very clearly know what our roles are and, and I, and, and, and we make it work. And I meant
1: that as a compliment. So I hope you don't, I, I, I don't take that as a slight. I, I, I'm, I'm totally kissing your butt on that.
0: Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 uh it's, it it's, it's, it's a, 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 a a relationship that, you know, it's much like a director and an actor, mm-hmm. you know.
1: Now, 1986, Top Gun Anthem. This is crazy success at this point. The soundtrack's number one on Billboard, it sells 9 million copies. It's mm-hmm. the best selling soundtrack of the year. And here we go Harold Foltermeyer and Steve Stevens have this amazing instrumental.
0: There's a really good example of what I tell people just say yes to things. Um, when we were doing Whip Last Smile, Harold was the keyboard player. Um, Harold was friends with uh, Keith Forsey, uh, our producer. They, okay. they came up through the Giorgio Morota yes studio scene together in Germany, did all those Donna Summers records. So Harold comes to New York, and we're doing the record, and uh, says to me, I, you know, I want to play you something. Um, <clears throat> and uh, we go in the lounge, and he's got a little Betamax. <laughs> it's the days of Betamax mm-hmm. video. Pops the Betamax in, and it's it's some aerial footage, which you know from Top Gun, which at that time looked groundbreaking. Yeah, you know?
1: sure, absolutely.
0: And says, "Oh, I'm scoring this movie. I'm in the middle of it. It's the Tom Cruise from Risky Business. That, uh, would you be interested in playing on?" Ah, sure. You know. <laughs> so I remember we did. Uh, we finished up our session with idol on a Saturday at about 10 o'clock. And then Harold went and put the multi-track the days of tape, put the tape on the multi-track and, uh, and had this theme and, um, and uh, you know, we proceeded to, you know, okay, we'll play the melody and and do all this. And, uh, and I think the whole session maybe took me two hours or something. And I kind of forgot, you know, I said, he goes, Oh, there's a solo section. And I kind of, it was it was just the perfect fit, you yeah. Know? And 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 um, and uh, we, I kind of forgot about it. And, and then uh, he, he said, "Oh, the movie's going to premiere at the Ziegfeld in New York. Would you come to the premiere?" Oh, okay, you know, sure. I go, wow, this is a big deal. This is a big <laughs> right. movie premiere. The movie comes out; it's got all these hits on it and stuff. And it's then, it's
1: a massive success. Yeah. I mean, because when you do it, you don't know that you don't even know if the movie's going to be good or or if people are going to like it, and it's just no massive.
0: I had no idea, you know, and then he calls me from Germany. He says, we got nominated for a Grammy and I go, yeah, well, well you know, that's, that's nice. And, you know, he goes, we're going to win. We, you know, he's such a <laughs> positive, Harold is, he is the, the power of positive thinking is what Harold is all about. And is that, did um, you guys win? Is that what you have the Grammy award for? We did win. We did. Unbelievable. And, and things, you know, sometimes things are just, you know, right. Um, the Grammys that year were in Los Angeles, I was living in New York, so i had I would have had no intention of you know flying for them but as as luck would have it, Billy and I were performing on the Grammys that year, so I had a B in Los wow. Angeles. So, <clears throat> so Harold says, "Well, the, that category is is uh, announced in the afternoon. Okay, I'll go down. You know, go down and I'm, I'm sitting there, and he's all like we are 'We're gonna win.' Harold, gonna... I, I, I don't, I don't want, I don't want this guy to be disappointed. Right, know? right, right. He's really expecting to win this thing, and you know? I hate to be the sure shit. <laughs> we end up winning. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You know, um, it was, you, you know." I mean, it was more a validation for my parents that put up with that racket all those years. Yeah, to them, you know, a Grammy is is you know it's you know I gave my mom, mom and dad my first gold record and those kind of things. That I don't display them or you know things. That it, it's a nice indicator, but uh, I you know I, I I prescribe to the notion that you know you're only as good as your next song or record, right? And, so, but it was great validation for them.
1: Steve, you're a very humble guy. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know what you would be like. I didn't know the, I didn't think you would be a jerk or anything like that. But you're, you're, you're a very, very humble and, uh, and good dude. And this is, uh, this is fun. Oh,
0: good. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I don't, I don't think you really get to experience and, and find real joy in what you do without being a little bit humble Yeah, uh, because you don't get to really meet people and you don't. I mean, you know, maybe back in the 80s, I was a little bit cocky and um, I certainly wasn't as as thoughtful towards people uh, because obviously I was I was always Billy's musical director mm-hmm. and and, um, and and now I'm a little bit more careful about how how I treat people and how I I really value my friendships with people and. You know, look, I've been doing this a long time. If I don't have fun doing it, right? You know, it's then why do I'm, it? I'm so fortunate to to make music as my my living. You know, uh, so what do I what do I have to be yeah. an asshole about? Like, that's, <laughs> that's what and, I always yeah, say. I'm
1: like, why is that guy an asshole?
0: He's he's doing what he set out to do. There ain't no reason in the world. I got a wonderful wife who travels with me, and uh, you know, man, I you know, I mean. You know there you and, and I always tell people you learn from your, your mistakes, and for many years you know uh you know i, I wasn't I wasn't in the moment mm-hmm. that way, and now I'm grateful for for all the all the experiences and all the that's great. You know, look, I, I get to meet somebody like Butch Walker and make music with this guy who's like you know uh, I mean I've been doing this uh, you know for however many years, making records for forty years yeah. and to, it's a gift. To, and now to work with somebody new with new energy and new ideas. And also guys, he's, he's, he's same thing, sweetheart, you know? And, um, and it was just like, uh, that's how, you, that's how you would hope that the business would be.
1: Now I'm going to talk about some, uh, some people you worked with that I had no idea you worked with these people. And, uh, or if I did, I forgot about it. Mm. Rick Kasich. Yeah. You played on his uh, second solo album, this side of paradise on paper, I wouldn't put you two guys together. How did this come about? Almost all my questions were like, how did this happen? But I mean, seriously, (laughs) this is, this is so cool to me. And again, I listened to this album the other night and I'm like, of course that's fucking Steve Stevens. This is unbelievable that I didn't know about this.
0: I, you know, it's just one of those, um, you know, the, you know, New York had such a great recording scene happening. And I think, uh, Rick was also over at electric lady recording, and um, uh, you know what was great is, and um, the guy's name is escaping me, but the producer, Chris something or other, Chris uh, Hughes, maybe. I think it's uh, yeah, and he was the producer for Tears for Fears, did mm-hmm. all those yeah incredible re- that, those you know when uh, shout and uh, and and um, everyone wants it. To Everybody wants world, to and, rule the world, yeah, rule the world, uh, and those records were even back then they sounded amazing. They still sound great. Yeah. So he was the one that called me and I, I jumped at the chance to work with him. So, uh, yeah, you play remember,
1: on, you play on six of the 10 songs.
0: I did. Yeah. And, uh, funniest thing was, you know, uh, so I go in the studio and, uh, uh we start tracking and I'm getting set up, whatever. And, uh, and Rick says to this girl, "Oh, uh, is, oh, Steve, would you like anything?" I said, "A cup of coffee, would be great. A little cream and sugar, you know." There. Says to this girl, "Oh, would you get Steve a cup of coffee?" Okay, great. It's Paulina. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, it's Paulina. <laughs> you know, she's getting you some coffee. Some coffee, you know. But they were great people. They were. Great. Rick was. Uh, it, it, it was like working with Spock. <laughs> you know, he I was so. so I understand. Smart, yeah, I understand you know? what you mean. He was so smart and, and, um, you know, uh, we bonded over Rick had actually produced suicide, which was a really influential duo out of New York. Alan Vega he was a singer and, uh, and they were really influential. They actually, uh, Billy turned me on to them and we had them open for us on a big show. And, um, so, uh, I bonded with him because he produced it and gave them exposure. And I yeah. said, "Man, you know that that suicide record is a is a big one for me." And, um,
1: yeah, he had and a lot of great producing credits with the D Generation and Weezer and and No Doubt. I mean, really pretty amazing guy. stuff. Yeah,
0: really smart guy and fun to work with. Yeah,
1: and the uh, the song "Keep on Laughing" has a killer guitar solo from you.
0: I mean, I haven't listened to that in a long time, but uh, uh, um, you know, I'm so, so sad when he passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he was a really unique person, you know, really unique. Moving
1: on from that, 1990, you work with Robert Palmer on this yeah. album, "Don't Explain." I mean, Robert Palmer, you know, he worked with uh, Andy Taylor and Power Station, and um, but th- uh, this is another collaboration that uh, that seems out of the ordinary for me and it just it it works it's so good the song you're amazing and that yeah. video you're you're pretty much almost front and center in that video you know what i mean yeah. We're in paradise,
0: baby, The crazy thing is, I've I, I had known Robert before I knew Billy Idol. Um, the band I was in before Idol, I had mentioned. Uh, we went out, we w- went out to the Bahamas to record our record, which was never released. <clears throat> and we're at the studio, and uh, and Robert lived across the street from the studio, and just walks in with a, you know, bottle of tequila or something, <laughs> says hello, you know, and we're all like is that Robert, that's Robert Palmer? And he goes, he's hearing, you know, we're playing some tracks or something. And he goes, Oh, who's the guitar player? I was like, that would be me. <laughs> <laughs> he said, well, I, I live across the street. I'm writing some demo, you know, I'm working on some demos. Would you come over and help me work out some demos? So we became friends then. And when he come through New York, um, <clears throat> he, he, he would call me and, we'd go to guitar shopping. He wanted to buy some guitars and I knew all the music stores, take them around. And, and we maintained a friendship, uh, all throughout the Billy Idol stuff. And, um, and then when I recorded with him, now here was, here was the ultimate Robert Palmer because he was living in Milan in Italy, the fashion capital of the world um, with Robert Palmer. And he takes me to buy a Versace suit. (laughs) It's and, and he takes me to this hotel, uh, which he says, um, now, uh, th- this hotel makes the best martini in the world. And and I go, oh, that's good. He goes, no, I mean it. He goes, this is the best martini in the world. <laughs> so we proceeded to get absolutely shit-faced in Milan, Italy. And, and, you know, it was just exactly how you would hope Robert Palmer. Yeah, that sounds would like
1: be. exactly how I would think that he would be, a man of the and, world.
0: and. and First class, everything about it was first class.
1: And, uh, I feel bad that we're talking about, we're talking about so many people today that, that have, that have passed on. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Th- but let's, let's, let's touch on some, uh, on some guys that are still with us. And, um, so funny if I, you read this list, these next two guys are guys that you think might not still be with us, but they still are Vince Neal and Sebastian Bach. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Vince Neal, uh, you work with Ron Nevison. On the exposed album this is right. he's he's no longer in motley at this point you're no you're not working with billy at this point so this seems like uh this seems like a good uh, a good pairing put you good two guys together and uh and see what happens
0: I mean, uh, actually doing the album was 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 great because I was used first of all, I was used to working on records that were, you know, guitar solos were a little more economical. So you get eight bars, you know, very uh, Atomic Blade by 16 bars, maybe. And now I'm working with Vince and working on, you know, we're in the studio uh, arranging the songs and Ah, make the guitar solo longer okay no longer you know 32 <laughs> bars 64 bars guitar so you know play as loud and as fast as 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 possible and also um uh we had already been booked to open for van halen for that tour so um and i was already i had become friends with ed and so it was uh it, it was fun doing the record the 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 thing was just right at that time is when grunge hit and yeah uh and, you then- know, uh and it was um you know uh anything that was associated with excessive 80s stuff it didn't matter who you were it it was just looked at as old hat and right uh so although the van Halen tour was great um after that you know we're in we're starting to play smaller venues and stuff and uh, it was, the writing was on the wall for, for a bit, you
1: know, there was going to be a, a little break from this type of music for a while.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, and unfortunately for me, it was the height of the excess, you know, I was on the road with Eddie Van Halen we were partying and, uh, and I, I, I could, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't play louder. I couldn't play faster. I could, you know, uh, it, uh and, and I had gotten off the road from, from Vince, I had actually left under not great circumstances, and um, I'm in Los Angeles, and I go see Paco de Lucia, the f- famous flamenco guitar player, and and um, <clears throat> it was, um, you know, I had started when I was a kid. One of my first guitar teachers was a, a flamenco guitarist, and. Paco was at the Wiltern and it was 3,000 people and, and they were still going crazy and, and he was playing all this blindingly fast guitar. And I went, well, that, I, I, if I reconnect with that side of my playing, um, it's a way for me to be virtuoso, right? but, but not uh, kind of music where people feel like they have to open up, hold up scorecards or something. <laughs> right. so, uh, so I put my electric guitar down for a, a year and did a flamenco record. Oh,
1: When you make a record like that you you, do you you don't did you do any flamenco shows anywhere
0: i did actually yeah i mean the cool thing about it was i just i uh you know also at that time i got sober and it was all part of like a cleansing thing and i cleared out a lot of like bad people in Mm -hmm. my life and and um and had this renewed love of playing guitar so i went to europe And um, and I went and I went to France and uh, England and I I just traveled around with this flamenco guitar, writing songs and doing tracks with people and then ended up finishing the record in Hawaii with David Tickle, who who mixed it. And it was just all part of my renewed energy about this love of guitar. And um, and it's it's that that record was an important step for me because that has stayed with me uh, during the. Like even during the course of a Billy Idol show, I do a flamenco guitar solo, yeah. And we've added touches of it to some of our music, and uh, and, um, and you know, I still I still get to uh, to play that with. I have some friends of mine who play flamenco, the, you know, guitarists and stuff. So it's, it was it was an important record for me. I would
1: imagine sitting around with guys that can also play that style of music and just uh, it's a different kind of a jamming, but it's probably uh, super satisfying
0: so satisfying yeah and it's <clears throat> like I'm, I'm a thing I'm, I'm a pick guitar player I don't play with flamenco with my fingers um, so when I'm across from like my friend Ben Woods who's, who's my usual partner with flamenco I'm just I'm, I'm like anybody else I'm a fan I'm looking at what he's doing with the t- traditional thing and he's looking at what I'm able to do with the pick and we're just like man you know we're just mutual respect there
1: so you ne- yeah you never stop learning then is what you're telling me
0: Never, never.
1: 2014 Sebastian Bach, uh, Give Him Hell. You, uh, you co write three songs on this Push Away, Head Enough, and this killer uh, gun to a knife fight is just amazing. Sebastian right, yeah. Bach can still sing his ass off.
0: Yeah, I mean he's um but the the funniest the, the I I had um, befriended him with there's a uh, an all-star group uh called Royal Machines okay. here in Los Angeles. Say so they have um different guest singers and Dave Navarro is usually the guitar player in that. But when he's, he was shooting his um, TV show, I filled in. So one of the singers who guested was Sebastian. And, um, I really liked that uh, slave to the grind record. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great. So, disc. I, so I
0: suggested a couple of songs off that. And, and um, he's, you know, he's, he'd lived in New Jersey and, the, and, and, uh, you know, we kind of struck up a thing and he said, Hey, you know, I'm working on a new record with, uh, would you like to write some some tunes for it? Um, and that's really how, how it came about. But the first funny thing was the first gig, I said I was booked to play at the Iridium in New York, which is where Les Paul uh, did his weekly show. Originally, okay. it was at a really small place called Fat Tuesdays. Then they moved it there, and they kept, after Les Paul passed away, they kept his, whatever it was, Tuesday night gig, and they'd have different guitar players come in. So I was asked to do it. And I said, Sebastian, you want to come with me to New York? Or we'll do this thing at the rhythm Okay, cool. And <laughs> we realized it's like dinner theater. People are sitting at tables <laughs> eating their dinner. And there's fucking six foot three Sebastian walking on their dinner table, picking up their chicken. And Oh, what do you got? Pork chop? <laughs> it was it was fun. I mean, I was thinking, oh my God, he's going to, he's going to hate this. And, and he was, he was really a good sport. Nice. about it. He, um, you know, he's, he's, a, he's over the top. He's a, he's, a, he's a rock star through and through, but he's, he's such a huge rock music fan, you know? Yeah. And uh, when you get down to it, that that's really where, where he's at. He really does love rock and roll and, and, um, and he is a larger-than-life character. Well, I I met him in person
1: uh, earlier this year before the whole COVID thing happened. It was at this Ronnie James Dio event at the Avalon, and I'm there with my right. friend, and we see Sebastian Bach, and I'm like, hi, ah, man, I really want to talk to Sebastian Bach, and we wait. We took so much because we didn't want to bother him. You know how that. You know that's how a fan feels. But yeah. man, he was so nice when we approached oh, him. Good. He just good. he just talked. You know, he would have talked for as long as we wanted to talk, but you know we oh, he we, can, we he let can. him go. Yeah, he was super yeah. cool, super cool. Yeah, great, great. Now, the most recent music you've done is it this uh, Deadland Ritual?
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, COVID kind of put a it put a stop put a on some things uh, uh, on on, on uh, progress on that. But that was uh, you know project that um, was Frankie Perez, myself, Matt Sorum, and Geezer Butler. So a,
1: su- a super group is what we call this. Yeah, we don't. We don't. You guys don't, but that's do what that's what that's what we would call it.
0: Look, the the bottom line is you can you can pick all these names or whatever, but until you get in a room together, you don't know. You
1: don't know if it's super.
0: You don't know if it's <laughs> you know, going to be uh, if the chemistry's there or not. Or um, but we went and we did two tours. We toured in Europe mm-hmm. and we've played some dates and. All the material is written. All the songs are written, and um, we were, you know, we. The original plan was I was going to finish with Idol in Vegas doing our residency around March. April and May, we were going to go in and record. And right now, it's on the on the because uh, that's one of those bands that <clears throat> it's not like a Butch Walker, Billy Idol thing. Yeah, that's you have to employ lots of engineers and there's a lot of people to move the moving parts with management and all this kind of stuff. And but, uh, so, um, you but, know, I hope it'll see the light of day. And and some of the songs,
1: a couple of tracks, are out there to get. You can get uh, down in flames and broken and right. bruised. <laughs> You can, uh, you can go download those tracks. Did, uh, Absolutely. when you do the Vegas residency, is that, uh, I mean, for someone that's toured the world and you know what it's like to wake up early and get on a plane and do all this stuff, is that kind of a really chill way to do it? Do you like um, it or do you, or do you, would you rather be city to city?
0: I love it. I mean, because the, the crazy thing is you, you have, uh, people that fly in from right from everywhere in the world, from Japan, uh, South America i mean you you and they they so you also you, you, we we do 3 days a week so you don't want to play the same songs every night so mm-hmm. we, it gives us an opportunity to really dig into the back catalog and and now with a lot of these things that we did in the 80s we really couldn't couldn't uh, uh, bring to fruition on stage because the technology wasn't there. So now, with, with all the things that are available, we're able to go back and do some of the older, uh, older songs and really do them justice and kind of interject a, a new flavor, kind of modern approach to it. Um, and also for our road crew, you know, seeing a road crew that doesn't have to break down every. Right.
1: Day. That, that's what I, I think mean, would be amazing.
0: Those guys are. You know, it's it's great. For they them. get to and, finally have a little fun. They do, and um, and we're a tight knit group of people. Mm-hmm. You know, including the road crew, who some of which have been with us ten, fifteen years, and uh, you know, there's a lot of social stuff. We get to dinners and uh, go check out things in Vegas nice. shows or whatever. So it's a it's a great situation. Yeah.
1: So I um I see I've gone over my time with you, Steve. I got just a couple more questions if you if you can hang
0: absolutely yeah
1: 2005 devil's playground you guys uh you got you and Billy get back together
0: in the devil's playground with an item. We had already been back together. Just to, you were touring. <laughs> um, we had done dates. When I first got back together with Billy, which was, I think, 93 or so, um he was still signed to Chrysalis Records. Chrysalis folded. He got shifted over to Capitol. There was an ill fated record that we uh did with uh, Glenn Ballard, I think was Alanis Morissette's uh, yes, yeah. producer. Um, which was like an all acoustic thing. It just didn't work. It just, you know, it was and then um uh you know, it took us a while. And then the whole throughout the nineties, even though we <clears throat> played and gigged, it it was, you know, a time of like like you know, we don't have to put out music right now right. because we don't know exactly where we want to go. And uh, it, it was, uh, but the thing that really solidified a lot of things was when we did um, VH1 Storytellers, because that was a way for Billy and I to look at our back catalog, m- maybe do it in a different way. Absolutely. Uh, I had, There was a couple of flamenco, you know, we did Don't Need a Gun, flamenco style. And- Goes in blue,
1: all those twisting tongues, they are
0: So we had already been working together and touring when we did uh, Devil's Playground.
1: It's a killer record, and uh, you co-wrote three songs, three of my favorites, including Romeo's Waiting and Summer Running. I love those. And Rat Race. Summer Running,
0: yeah. Yeah, Rat Race was was the one for me that I, um, and, and playing that live was, it, it was, that it, it, it was one of those <clears throat> songs that really had its own atmosphere and vibe about it, yeah.
1: Wake me from my sleep a cautionary tale, a walking infancy, a way to derail, I wanted to be free, and I wanted only you, the walls are falling down,
0: and somebody says, oh, give a little love, give a little Like a
1: red race. Red race. All right, let's, uh, let's wrap up with asking you, I, I, I got to ask about the Ray
0: gun. When did the
1: Ray gun start?
0: Um, yeah, for, you know, so, <laughs> if people don't know, I, I, on the rebel yell solo, um, I use a toy Ray gun There's actually an effect with it, but um, when we did Rebel, Ye- I'll try and make this a short story. Yeah, you can Something tell it like,
1: however long as you want to tell it, Steve. I'm not. I'm in no so, hurry to leave.
0: <laughs> so Rebel Yell, we we realized this is going to be the title track of the album. This is the opening track. It's got a bit of a guitar solo in it, but it can't just be notes, you know. I, I thought, and the, and the, the backing track was so storming. It was like I wasn't going to put one thing on there that wasn't appropriate. And I brought in. I, I, it was my idea that that. Yeah, it could be guitar solo, but we needed something that was going to take, to absolutely take people's heads off right. when they heard it. Like, what the hell is that? You know, so I brought in this Billy Cobham record, which had Tommy Boland on it. There's a song on there called Quadrant Four. And Tommy Boland, brilliant guitar player. At one point, he has this guitar oscillating feedback with a, an echo machine. And I played it for our producer. I said, we need something like that, but not that. And we're like banging our heads, trying to, you know, we'd get the guitar sold. And then I'm at home and I'm literally, I was living in the basement of my parents' house. And I've got the guitar. I'm laying in the bed. I got the guitar. I had a little practice amp. And I used to collect these little toys, you know, little robots and things. I got this little ray gun. And I'm playing. And I, what the hell? It's coming through the guitar. And I go closer and I put it by the pickup. And it's this ray gun sound. Wow. Wow, that's cool! So a happy accident, a totally happy accident. But then I'm like, "But it'd be good if it like sped up and did this whole thing." So I open it up, and I have a little bit of an electronics background. I'm am good at tinkering, you know. So I start looking at where the resistors are, and I go, "I don't know." I knew enough to know that if I vary a resistor with a with a potentiometer <laughs> uh, and mount it, I can actually play this thing through right. the guitar. And hence, that's the ray gun. Yeah, you, know, you practice guitar for sixty years, and the thing people want to know about is, is
1: the toy. Head. Is the toy that uh, that you touch to the the pickups? Yeah.
0: But but you yeah.
1: and and on your website though, we can buy a ray gun.
0: Yeah, um, the the there's a very specific one that that has to be if it's going to be like the ones that I use on stage. They're from the seventies. The newer ones you can't really tinker with. So we we sell ones for like $25 that are just like, it's like signing a photo of something for something. But what I did is I uncovered recently about 25 of these, uh, brand new, but from the seventies Ray guns. And I personally, uh, to uh, them and put the switches in and everything and I made them available. That's cool fans and they sold out in like one day <laughs> And I was thinking no, I don't know if people are gonna want this because you know I got to charge something because I'm in there soldering. There's a lot of man hours and doing this one day They were gone. They're so.
1: gone. And then you're yeah. thinking oh, I should have charged more <laughs> No, I was
0: glad to... to no, I'm kidding. Know. I know, I'm joking. Yeah, cool. I was glad to put them in people's hands. But here's the messed up thing. I've gone to three different guitar companies, not guitar companies, effects companies, Okay. with this idea yeah. uh, to manufacture this because it could be a very inexpensive thing and uh, and people obviously want it. And and uh, none of them... Were, no one wants to do to, it. Per, per dif, per, particularly interested. That's weird. uh, So if anybody hears this... Yeah, if anyone's (laughs) listening
1: and you want to invest in some Steve Stevens stuff... I'm telling you, we'd sell a a boatload of these. The ones you had, you sold out immediately. So who wouldn't want to do it? Absolutely. Steve, again, you got a lot of stuff happening. SteveStevensGuitar.com. On Twitter, you're at Steve Stevens. On Cameo, cameo Cameo.com forward slash Steve Stevens A Go-Go. And you're going to be teaching... A master class.
0: Yeah, for uh, uh, rock and for, roll fantasy camp. Yeah, we, this is the second one I'll be doing, um, and uh, it, the first one was was great. It was great. It was really, um, you know, like I said, if 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 when I was a kid, and I could have logged in to Zoom and had uh, you know personal audience or you know uh, dialogue with a uh, Jimmy Page or or uh, Richie Blackmore right. or anybody. I, I, it would have meant so much to me and uh, I really value it. And I, I, I get, I get something back from it because it reminds me of when I first started playing yeah. the instrument, you know, and it's, it's, um it's, it's, it, it's a great experience. I love doing it.
1: Well, I, it's, it's kind of the same thing for me, Steve, when, you know, I'm a grown man now, but in 1982, if I could have had a zoom conversation with Steve Stevens, my head would have exploded, <laughs> you know, it's exploding now, but it, you know yeah. what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, it, it's, um, you know, man, if we, if I can't pass on some of this knowledge and, and the knowledge that I have is only because I've made that many mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so how like you learn. If I could save somebody from blowing up their amplifier or, or ruining a guitar, you know, I'll, I'll pass it on.
1: Well, there's lots of stuff on the horizon from Steve Stevens. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for giving me this time today. I hope when you guys come through Los Angeles that, uh, if I reach out, I'll get to, I'll get to come say hi. Oh,
0: that'd be great. Absolutely.
1: So Steve continue to quarantine. Uh, say hello to your lovely wife for me. And, uh, Steve, I, I, I play out with a play out song. What Steve Stevens song would you like me to play out? On? I know it's hard because you've played on so many tracks, but do you have one in mind?
0: Um, yeah, you know, all, the, 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 on atomic playboys is a song called crackdown and, uh, I believe it's the best song on that record. So if you want to play crackdown, I, I will really, play crackdown. It's, it's really encapsulates a lot of my, what I'm about as a guitar player.
1: Excellent.